everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig Rosal, and I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. How are you doing today, Brandon? Ah, could be better. Yeah, the uh, 2019 Citrus Bowl put a damper on our New Year's days as Penn State fell to Kentucky 27-24 in a really tough game where Penn State was trailing 27-7 and stormed back in the fourth quarter, closed within three. However, Kentucky closed the game out with a four-minute drive to really ice the game and send Penn State packing and and the story career of quarterback Trace McSorley. Uh, as we get started, we'll start with the Penn State opening drive. They decided to take the ball, and they had a three now. Obviously, there was a drop in there by Miles Sanders on a pass from McSorley. But for me, taking the ball and having the offense go three now, putting a, a minute down on the clock, it's just unproductive. And I don't think that's part of the game plan, but players have to execute. I think if you don't trust your offense to do well to start the game, then why are you taking the ball? To go three and out. Yeah, I, I think it was a situation where where Franklin and he said this from time to time. Um, they're going to take the the ball on the opening kickoff uh, if they win the toss in certain situations. I think that his philosophy kind of goes with just getting the ball, running up the field, kind of setting the tone early, and, and kind of getting the offense um, breaking the offense and kind of get them comfortable out there. Yeah. So when third down conversion failed, Penn State went for a fake punt. The snap was followed by the up man. And it set Kentucky up with a very short field and the opportunity for them to score right away. Obviously, that was a very controversial decision so early in the game. And However, the Penn State defense forced a field goal after one first down. So Kentucky was up 3 nothing. Then Penn State had another 3 and out. And However, Blake Hilkin, with the highlight of the day for the special teams, pinned the Wildcats down at the one-yard line. Then the next drive, Penn State had another short drive. Field goal miss from 40 yards. Looks like it was a bad snap that was mishandled by the holder. However, the kick, the snap is down and the kick is up. It has to be good. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely been an issue throughout the season. Nothing that we have seen everybody be up in arms with as much as it was this game. But you know, obviously, special teams wasn't really a strength this year, and definitely not in this game. It, it showed itself pretty poorly. Yeah, so then the next possession for Kentucky ended up being a punt return touchdown after a Penn State fourth down, and Lynn Bowden returned it from 56 yards out. It was really a line drive kick by Gilkin because he was at his own one-yard line, and Kentucky went up 10 nothing on this. And Lynn Bowden, we talked about him in the, the preview for the game as a dynamic wide receiver for the Wildcats, but he showed off his return ability as well on this punt return. Yeah, definitely, again, another another special teams blunder there. You know that was that, that was kind of a, a bit of a momentum swinger in my opinion. Um, you get a punt return like that, I think it was a big thing for Kentucky because their offense had struggled thus thus far through the game. Yeah, as you said, despite the opportunities they had, Kentucky wasn't able to put points on the board without some help. And then Penn State mounted a drive of their own. McSorley had a nine-yard run, then a twenty-yard run, then the big forty-one-yard screen pass to KJ Hamler, and then that drive concluded with a one-yard touchdown pass to the tight end Nick Bowers, which. Finding the tight end has continued to be a theme throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's nice to see these these tight ends uh, get involved. You know, they're a young a young group of tight Absolutely. ends, and it's really it's really promising to see that. You know, moving into the future, you, you can definitely see these guys as really big contributors to the Penn State offense. Yeah, as you said, they're very young, but they are very talented as well. Right. So hopefully, you know, you look at the bowl games and you see it as kind of a preview for the next year. Maybe Nick Bowers, Pat Fryermuth, who we'll talk about later. Those guys could emerge and have really big 2019 seasons. Yeah. As for the rest of the first half, the teams had 
zero third down conversions combined. And Penn State then tried to stage a small drive at the end of the half, but the field goal was blocked by Josh Allen, who ended up having a huge game, as Brandon was really excited to see from his prediction as well. Yeah, uh, he de- he definitely didn't disappoint. Um, he he played well um, despite you know you saw he had a couple sacks, uh, three I believe. Yeah, the big the big block field goal. Just he was just a force out there, and really as we talked about in the preview, we kind of expected that. Yeah, in his post game interview, he said, "I think I should be number one, and you know if somebody else goes number one, I want to see who it is." Because he he thought that this game really helped his stock going into the 2019 NFL draft. Moving on to the second half, Penn State was kicking off, and kicker Rafael Cheka kicked the ball out of bounds and starts. Kentucky had great field position at their own 35. They moved over to Penn State territory on a 32-yard run by Benny Snell. This was the start of Benny Snell's big second half. Then a targeting penalty on Cam Brown led to his ejection and a big gain for Kentucky. And then Benny Snell concluded that drive with a two-yard run of his own. Yeah, this was... This was kind of a a, a heartbreaker, um, in my opinion. This is where it really seemed to to turn in Kentucky's favor. A really solid drive from them, especially you know they took advantage of a Penn State special teams mistake, mm-hmm. um, and really and really put them in a good position. So then Penn State gets the ball back after the Kentucky touchdown, and there's reports swirling on social media and throughout the stadium that Trace McSorley has a broken foot, his game is done, his career is done, and Sean Clifford opened the second half at quarterback. No drive at all there. Penn State ends up punting. So then Kentucky gets the ball back, and Benny Smell and Terry Wilson march down the field, end up settling for a 28-yard field goal, but expand their lead to 20-7. to Yeah, it was definitely that was a, that was a big moment in the game. I remember, I remember texting you and saying, you know, is this like is this for real? He has a broken foot. Like, you know, like what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't see anything different come out of from McSorley coming out of the half. We didn't. Or coming going into the half, we didn't see like any significant injury or anything. So, just something very very confusing. And really, we had never seen Franklin announce injury news throughout the entire season. Really, so yeah. it was interesting to see. You know, you go on Twitter and you see all these writers, Penn State beat writers saying, "Oh, Penn State Athletics announced that yep. McSorley has a broken foot." Which really, it just kind of it was just strange. It kind of raised some flags because it was something that we've never seen before. Yeah, and it was very confusing because. As you said, Franklin never really gives out injury reports, and they didn't give out an injury report after the game, and we still don't know what happened to Trace McSorley. But it wasn't just some fans screaming up to the press box to one of the writers saying, hey, I think McSorley has a broken foot. This was from the team, somebody from the team, I'm not sure who. Yeah. But then after Kentucky makes it 20-7, to Trace McSorley comes back out, starts the drive off pretty promisingly, but then that ends in a Trace McSorley interception as he tried finding Jawan Johnson deep in Kentucky territory. So then the ensuing Kentucky drive, Lynn Bowden has another dynamic play, a 57-yard catch, and then Benny Snell ends up breaking the Kentucky rushing record with a touchdown. And at this point, it was Kentucky 27-7, and it looked like they had the game in the bag. Penn State offense wasn't doing anything, but then Trace McSorley happened. Comes back with a one-yard touchdown after a big drive. Then the Penn State defense comes up clutch with a, a three and out. Then the ensuing Penn State drive, they had a third and 18 pass conversion to Jahan Dotson, then a 20-yard pass to Pat Fryermuth, and then that drive concluded with another 18-yard touchdown catch by Fryermuth, continuing that 
theme of the day of the tight ends being very involved in the offense. Yeah, this was definitely interesting. I remember during the game, I, I texted you and I said, you know, we did our podcast last week and my bold prediction was a Kentucky blowout. And I said, I didn't, I meant it as a bold prediction. I didn't mean Not it. The as, actual I prediction. didn't mean it for real, but it, it was awesome to see Penn State, you know, really just, they just took the momentum right back and really, they just, they dominated for, for a couple drives there. Yeah. And the one key thing to notice on that drive was Dotson with a big third down conversion, Firemuth with a big catch, and obviously the touchdown catch. Both of them are freshmen, so that's something we'll we'll be looking to in the future is those guys contributing. Then the Penn State defense forced another Kentucky three and out, which we'll get to a bit later on why some of the late game decisions happened. Some of that could have been the two straight Kentucky three and outs. So then Penn State gets the ball back, a 17-yard run on third and one by McSorley. Then... Uh, Nick Bowers has another big catch, 25-yard pass. Then Ricky Ronnie kind of makes up for his fourth and five blunder against Ohio State when he goes with a draw play on third and ten. Miles Sanders picked up 13. However, on third and six, incomplete pass by McSorley, got bat down at the line. Decision time for Coach James Franklin. Could he down six? Could he go for the field goal, make it a three-point game, or go for the conversion or potentially a touchdown? He chose to stick with his defense. They had two straight three and outs, decided to take the points. The 32-yard field goal by Pinnaker was good. He ended up being one for three on the day. And then Kentucky gets the ball back, and Penn State had three timeouts, the chance to stop the clock when they needed to. And Kentucky got two first downs when they needed to. They, when they needed three, they got three and a half, and Penn State couldn't stop them. Ends up having Kentucky run the ball run the clock down to one second, and Penn State had one final chance, desperation time. They tried a hook and ladder play. The, the play was fumbled, and Kentucky recovered to end the game. Yeah, that, I mean, this is obviously the biggest uh, controversy about this game was the call that Franklin made to go for the field goal at the end of the game there instead of trying to um, go for it on fourth and get the touchdown to, to take the lead. But here's here's where I'm at on that decision. I don't agree with it. Per se, I would have been the person that goes for it on fourth down, goes for the win. But I understand where Franklin's coming from in this situation. I think, as you said, the two, three and outs, like the defense was rolling. They were really, really stopping Kentucky. And Kentucky was able, wasn't able to do anything. And Penn State had three timeouts. There was three-plus minutes left. Um, I think that Franklin had a lot of confidence that he could uh, just either stop them and use all his timeouts or just stop them and have like a minute and a half, two minutes maybe with the mm-hmm. ball back. Um, and we've seen we've seen them make those game-winning drives before. And in this particular situation, since he kicked the field goal, he would have only needed a field goal to tie the game with the chance to go for a touchdown still if he wanted to win. See, I think it was a, a call either way that he was going to get slammed regardless. Oh, God, yeah. If you know, Jake Pinnegrain ended up making the field goal, but if Penn State didn't convert, it's fourth and six, they don't convert, and Kentucky gets the ball back. We have no points on the board. And they end up running the clock out. It's like, well, you shoot on for the points. You make the stop. And you had a chance right. at a field goal at least. Or as he did it, you get the points. Kentucky ends up running the ball. And it's like, well, you should have went th- for the conversion. Either way, Penn State fans were going to slam Coach Franklin. And I don't think that's it, it, he deserves that. Because I think it was a a tough decision either way. I think he went with the decision where he felt his defense was playing really well he didn't want to give Kentucky any momentum back on a you know they end up having a turnover on downs or just a turnover in general 
I think that was his idea of what he wanted to do. But at the same time, if you wanted to be aggressive early in the game with a fake punt on the first drive of the game, yeah, then why don't you be aggressive there. at the end of the game too? Which it's easy to second guess now because Penn State lost the game, but at the same time, it's 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 controversial in that way. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was necessarily an obvious decision. I think that a lot of people think that like the obvious call was you got to go for the touchdown there, you got to go for it on fourth down. But I think like. If they they kick the field goal and they go and they stop them three and out, and like Franklin didn't even use his timeouts in the the first uh, couple downs. So no, he did a really he did a really good job of trying to hold on to them. First down play, he let go because he saw okay they got four yards. I think if they had a negative gain or they were stopped at the line, I think he would have used one then. But he wanted to see how that drive ended up panning out, which ended up being effective because he had it for the second first down part of that series, and then Kentucky obviously picked up the second first down. So. Yeah, it ended you, up not working, but I think I think his intentions were in the right place. Yeah, and if you know if they stopped them three and out in that first in that first series, they have three timeouts and probably around two minutes left to go down the field. And I mean, with, with you can do a possibly lot. Possibly the that. best quarterback in school history on his last drive, trying to lead a, a at least a game tying drive, if not a winning drive. And how many times have we seen him do that? Before? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think. You know, it's a controversial decision, but I don't think it's one that James Franklin should be killed for. Um, there's been some decisions in the past where fans want to really get on him. This isn't one that should merit that type of response from the fans. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of examples. Let's let's be honest. There's been a lot of examples where, you know, Franklin deserves the heat for some of the decisions he's made. But as you said, this is just not something that I think was obvious, and I don't really think that he he deserves any of this. No, not at all. One thing that probably should be deserved from the coaching staff is some type of acknowledgement of how bad the special teams were in this game. And this wasn't just a one-time thing. This obviously happened throughout the season. One thing that, you know, the start of the game with the, the missed conversion on the fake punt, that just seemed like an execution thing. The up man bobbled the snap, but still, it's like Kentucky was all over that play. Then DeAndre Topkins let a ball float over his head, ended up being down inside the five, and that ended up leading to the Lynn Bowden punt return because Penn State was pinned deep in their own territory. The two missed field goals, one was blocked, one was a misnap with a miss from uh, 40 yards out by Pinnaker. And it, it was just a rough day for the Penn State special teams. And they obviously let go of wide receivers coach David Corley, but some fans are really calling for special teams coach Phil Galliano. And this was because Penn State and Coach Franklin preached that they really practice special teams during the bowl practice uh, schedule and it just looked like they did not show up outside the one Blake Gillikin punt at the one yard line yeah this I mean he just never seemed to fit in as the special team coach he's only been there for a year now and it's clear that it wasn't really a strength this season and then when you have a season that didn't really go so well special team wise and then you have a game like this which is just just terrible like let's just say it like it was a terrible special teams performance so when you combine that with just a just a mediocre never really had a never really had it as their strength um you could see why they made the people are calling for his job we'll see if he i don't think he's going to get fired at this point i think that if he was he would have gotten fired with the wide receivers coach together but never say never i mean it's tough for coach galliano because Pinnaker is a true freshman. Cheka is a, a freshman. Gilkin's uh, very experienced. He's a junior, but he struggled a lot this year. And then the return game, Hamler was a shining bright spot. He was a redshirt freshman. And DeAndre Tompkins had his moments. He had one punt return against Pitt. 
there's been some struggles throughout the season with the, the return game as well. And obviously letting some punt returns and kick returns for touchdowns. Obviously, Appalachian State had one. Yeah, we've seen that all year. Kentucky had one in this game. So that's – it was kind of a very dark spot for this Penn State team throughout the season and really sh- shined or, you know, vice versa for them in this game. So it's you don't want to call for anybody's job, but at the same time, it's like something needs to be fixed. New special teams coach this year, and they really struggled – Will Franklin want to keep some some familiar faces around despite the struggles, or will he go to a different direction like he did with the wide receivers coach? I feel like at this point, Franklin's probably going to let him, you know, feel himself out a little bit more. It's still only one year, obviously, so I guess he has faith in him that you know maybe next year he could turn it around, or next year he'll get used to the, the system or whatever he's teaching. Like the players will buy in, or whatever it may be. You see that if Franklin at this time seems to have somewhat a bit of confidence in him. As for the positive note on the game, Trace McSorley leading Penn State back was incredible. It kind of just happened in a flash. He thought he was going to do it on the drive that ended with an interception, but then the next drive he really took over. As the report said, he had a broken foot. I don't think he had a broken foot because I don't think he would have been running the way he did, but obviously something was wrong with him. Could have been the knee again that he injured against Iowa, but he was incredible running the ball, throwing the ball, he's accurate again. It was something that, you know, we talked about his legacy in the last podcast, and it was something very magical for Penn State fans to watch him perform in his last game as a Nittany Lion. Yeah, they they looked, the, the offense didn't look really that well all game, but I'll tell you, when at that those last couple drives that he was leading, like when he got the ball, like you just had that confidence that, wow, this like no one could stop this guy. Like they're running right down the field, like just play after play. Of just just really really good. You just his talent just shows through, and like we talked about last podcast, he's a winner. And this was like this seemed like this that he was going to lead the the team down, and they were going to get another win. And he just seemed like that was his moment. He had all the confidence in the world, and the offense just looked great in the end. There, he I think it was less of his ability as much as it was just like his leadership. His leadership at the end of that game was incredible. That he would not be denied winning the game at the end, and I think the rest of the team rallied around him, and it was a very great moment for us Penn State fans to see because, as you saw at the end of the, the game and after the game, when he was meeting up with players, he was very emotional after the game. You know, Nobody's had a career like Trace Montoya, in my opinion, where he was such a winner, he broke so many records, and he really was part of the revival of this Penn State program into not just a, a pretty good team in the Big Ten, but a national power once again, and it was it was awesome to see Trace McSorley end his career that way. Unfortunately, it came up short. You know, some fans wanted to see him go for that conversion. That's some of their their controversy with Franklin's decision to go for the field goal is they want Trace McSorley to have one last moment. Right. And unfortunately, he didn't have that opportunity. But just a, a great showing from Trace McSorley, especially against a tough Kentucky defense where early on they were giving him fits. And he was struggling. He was inaccurate at times. Mm-hmm. A couple sacks behind the line of scrimmage where he really felt the pressure from Josh Allen and and company on the Kentucky defense, but incredible game for McSorley. Very, very happy with the way things ended for him and his career. Yeah, you talk about leadership. You know, at this, this situation, you could just see, like you said, how how it shined through in this in this situation. Like he's been there before. Like he knows. Like they were down twenty-seven to seven. Like he's been there in this situation before, where they're down big, and like you need a guy like that who has the experience to just kind of uh, be able to bounce back from that because. 
you know how young these wide receivers are. You know how young these tight ends are. These guys aren't battle-tested per se. And you see that he's kind of the guy that, that led them back and just, you know, just so the team's not down on themselves, like, oh, like, this is over. We're down 20 points. Like, we can't win, come back. Like, he's just the guy that kept everything steady. Just do go out, do your job, and score. So after the bowl game, there was decisions to be made. And the day after the bowl game on January 2nd, there was a ton of decisions made. Um, some NFL draft news. Uh, we'll start first with some co- the coaching change. We mentioned it previously. Wide receiver coach David Corley was let go. He was, he was previously brought in to be the running backs coach, but then Jawan Sider was brought in from Florida to be the running backs coach. So they switched Corley over to the receivers coach. Obviously, Penn State struggled, struggled with uh, drops this year. They were close to the top of the nation, if not tops of the nation in drops. Experienced players like Jawan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins, Brandon Polk, they did not look to be the same guys that they had been in previous years. So Coach Franklin made the decision that to let go of David Corley. And Brandon has some insight on some guys that may be replacements. Greg Pickle, a PennLive.com reporter, does a great job for them. He had an article mentioning some replacements. So, Brandon, who who are some guys that are in the mix to replace Coach Corley on the wide receiver staff? Yeah, so I was just scrolling through Twitter the other day while after the news went down and I came across this article from Greg. So he could just kind of runs through a couple of the names that um, could possibly replace this guy. One of the things that I've noticed um, this past year is the difference it made since Josh Gaddis left for Alabama. Um, and look at the difference between Alabama's receivers this year as opposed to recent years. Yeah, so clearly they miss him. Um, he was a really, really good coach, and as you could see, this guy that didn't, didn't work out. Corley just wasn't the, the man for the job. So Greg here just talks a little bit about a couple of the guys that replace him. The first one he brought up was Bobby Ingram. Obviously, a former Penn State wide receiver. Um, right now, he's in the NFL coaching for the Ravens. He's the wide receiver's coach there. So just, I mean, he's just connected. You know, he's he seems to be a fit, obviously, because he's a wide receiver's coach and because he's a uh, PSU. Um, Legend. Yeah. <laughs> good good uh, wide receiver. It's just interesting to see this guy, but we don't, like, we don't know if he'll, he'll want to come to Penn State, back to Penn State, really. I mean, he's in the NFL right now, so who knows if... If college is something that he wants to get back into, but definitely a name to to keep your eye on. So the other name is Chris Beatty. This guy's a Maryland's co-offensive uh, offensive coordinator. So he really was brought up for, with from Greg because he has familiarity with Franklin. He coached with Franklin at Vanderbilt. He was his wide receivers coach for a year, it seems. Yeah, one year, and he had Jordan Matthews, who ended up being a star at Vanderbilt, and he ended up getting drafted in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles. So he has some type of track record with quality receivers in college that went on to be pretty good pros. Jordan Matthews, not a star receiver in the NFL, but very productive throughout his career so far. Yeah, we've seen we've seen uh, Franklin hire guys that he knows, and obviously like he, he shows a lot of loyalty to the people that like to stay with him, all the coaches that like to stay with him. We saw that with Ricky Ronnie being promoted to offensive coordinator mm-hmm. after Moorhead left. Um, so this guy could definitely fit the bill um, if Franklin wants to is interested or he's interested in to reunite. I guess one thing interesting about BD is that he's at Maryland and the new named head coach of Maryland is Mike Loxley and he's the current office coordinator at Alabama. And since he's working with the Crimson Tide right now and trying to win a national title, he hasn't done anything with the coaching staff yet. He hasn't let any let go of anybody. 
So BD could be a guy that's out on the market if next week Loxy decide, hey, I want a new uh, crew out here. So BD's an interesting name for this opening because he might be out on the market anyway. He doesn't have to be hired from Maryland. He could be just a, an assistant coach looking for a job. Yeah, so another guy that I know you're very excited about. We talked about this before. So Michael Johnson Sr., who is currently the wide receivers coach at Oregon. So why he is connected to Penn State? Because his or his son is committed to Penn State right now. He's, he signed. <laughs> he signed. He signed. Right? He is going to be there in like a week or two yeah. as uh, a quarterback for the Nittany Lions. So I think it would be a cool father-son dynamic. Obviously in the past with the Paternos, Jordan Norwood, his dad was on staff while he played at Penn State. There's obviously those connections. Uh, it would be interesting to see if Coach Franklin wants to do that have a player uh, signed and have his dad be an assistant coach. Obviously, different position group, wide receivers and quarterbacks, but still d- interesting dynamic if Franklin wants to pull the sugar on that. Yeah, so that's not really the only uh, connection that they have, that Franklin has to this guy. Franklin's actually known Michael Johnson Sr. for years now because when he interviewed for the Atlanta Falcons job, he was the quarterback's coach when Michael Vick was there, um, and Franklin knows him from that situation. So, again, another situation where Franklin knows a guy. You know, interesting to see if, you know, he brings up the, the loyalty thing and, and hires somebody that he um, that he knows and he's familiar with. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is definitely going to be a national search. So Michael Johnson Sr., interesting name, from Oregon, has a son coming in. Uh, it would be interesting to see if that, that national search ends up leading to Johnson Sr. coming in as the new wide receivers coach. All right. And see, the last the last name that we have on here is Graham Zug, which is pretty interesting for me. Obviously, he was another former Penn State wide receiver. Right now, he's a high school offensive coordinator, so don't know if the experience is necessarily there for this guy, um, but definitely another name to look out for just because of the connection of him playing at Penn State at one point. Yeah, he was obviously a very quality receiver for Penn State. Sure-handed, which is something that the Nittany Lion receiving core could use right now. But obviously he only has the high school experience at this point. He's very young, which isn't a huge problem for the Penn State staff, but the inexperience combined with his youth could be an issue for Coach Franklin. Personally, I think it's going to be Johnson Jr. or Johnson Sr., sorry, uh, Beattie, or it's going to be somebody we are not even thinking of. Because... That's just the way Franklin rolls. It's either familiarity or somebody where we're just like, oh, well, that's surprising. Yeah, I think that was definitely something like for Moorhead. I don't think anyone saw Yeah, nobody coming. saw Joe Moorhead coming in, and that turned out to be a very positive decision made by Coach Franklin. Yeah, so I would say, you know, Beattie and, and Johnson Sr. are definitely the two most likely candidates for the job. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, where that goes. Yeah, and now moving over to some NFL draft news. We had four Nittany Lions declare on the 2nd, and we had one declare on the 3rd of January. Sharif Miller was the first to declare, followed by Connor McGovern, then Ryan Bates, uh, offensive tackle, then Kevin Gibbons, and then today, as we're recording, Miles Sanders declared. A lot of guys declaring very quickly, and some fans are disappointed, angry, think it's a, a statement being said by the players of what they think of Coach Tranklin. I think that's totally inaccurate. I think you should celebrate these guys decided to turn pro. They put all their effort into this program. A lot of these guys are two, three-year starters, except for Sanders and Gibbons, really. And 
these guys have been very productive players for this Penn State program, and their efforts should be celebrated and not condemned. Yeah, it's definitely everyone is giving them a lot of heat for this, but it's a lot of speculation where you don't have any idea um, what these players are thinking, and it's definitely um, just a weird assumption to come up with and say that they're unhappy with Franklin. Like, they committed to him. They played with for him for a couple years now. They're obviously good players. They're not just going to move on because they don't like Franklin. It's just I think that's just a lazy, a lazy speculation take, if you will. Yeah. I think, as you said, you need to celebrate these guys because they've meant a lot to the program, and they've definitely contributed more than you know. Yeah, I mean, these guys are all Big Ten champions. They're all Fiesta Bowl champions. They've contributed a lot to this program. And, of course, you looked at last year's draft crew. Um, there were some seniors in there, but Saquon Barkley was a junior, and he declared. But all those guys tested very, very well at the NFL Combine. Um, you look at going even back further, Chris Godwin declared early. He's having a very good career so far with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All these guys are going to test very well at the Combine. They're going to test very well at their pro day. They're going to have great 40 times. They're going to have good bench press numbers. And I think they're, you know, if they're even if their draft stock is pretty low right now, they're going to improve. Um, for example, Connor McGovern is the number one listed offensive guard on my, Mel Kuyper's uh, big board. So if he comes back for his senior years, he, he's probably going to fall. Why would he not go right now? He's a three-year starter. He plays right. guard and center. Why wouldn't he declare? Miles Sanders, he's ranked number six on my, Mel Kuyper's big board for running backs. He's going to test very well at the combine. He's going to impress teams with his interview. And... If he does really well in the NFL, it's not going to be a surprise because you see the guy for the New York Giants, how well he played this year. You know, and some of these other guys, you know, Kevin Givens, Ryan Bates, Sharif Miller, they're all they're all quality players, and they each have their strengths and weaknesses, and a lot of fans are attacking their weaknesses and seeing, like, oh, he let up a sack. All offensive linemen let up a sack. Oh, this guy broke a tackle off uh, Kevin Givens or something. Everybody misses a tackle every now and then. They're not perfect prospects. They're not, they're not all going number one. But they're going to be quality NFL players, and I don't think there's any reason for fans to be upset about them leaving. Obviously, it leaves some voids on the Penn State, right. uh, especially the, the defensive and offensive lines. But these players should be celebrated for their decisions. They're going to go and make millions of dollars and hopefully have a nice playing career in the NFL. Yeah, I think Franklin gets a lot of slack, obviously, for his shortcomings. But one of the strengths that he's had is his strength and conditioning coach and you see, like you said, these guys are going to test out well. Like these guys really, really build up in the weight room, and I think that the strength and conditioning staff at Penn State has done a tremendous job the past couple of years. Um, you see all these guys just really, really strong, um, just committed to to working out and just bettering themselves um, muscle wise. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know exactly where they're going to go. It's it's January. The draft is in late April. But I, I definitely see all these guys getting drafted at some point, whether it's early on or late, who knows. But I think it's it's a very positive thing for this Penn State program where you can say, hey, we have five guys besides seniors going to the NFL draft, and they're they're going to get selected. Yeah, I was I thought this was very – I was very surprised by the fact that all these guys um, declared. Um, I know we talked about in our last podcast, you know, we went through all these names and said, you know, what, what do we think they're going like to do? We'd like to come back. Yeah. Yeah. We um, basically said that we thought that they were all going to come back. Um, my only thing was I thought McGovern was the most likely to leave, and I guess I was wrong about everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we have five Nittany Lions declaring for the NFL draft. We'll be covering them as we get into the, the scouting combine, the pro day. We'll do some coverage on them and how they did. I think it's going to be a very 
positive note for you know especially Penn State recruits and for current Penn State players to see these guys perform well at the combine, perform well at their scout day, and then see where they're selected in the NFL because I think every kid that grows up playing football wants Dreams to play in the, the NFL. NFL. I don't think they just want to stop at playing college and then, hey, let me get a job in an office. They want to play in the National Football League. So these guys performing well. Obviously the last class did really well. Deshaun, Deshaun Hamilton had a, a good end of the season. Saquon Barkley was great throughout the season. He might be Rookie of the Year. And Dusecki was uh, selected in the second round. So there's more positives to come out of this than fans saying it's a revolving door of players and these players aren't graduating. Oh, by the way, they... They do graduate. Yeah, they, these guys are like these guys are on campus a lot. Obviously, they're taking classes in the summer. They're taking classes in the winter. Like they're taking classes all year round. So they're going to graduate earlier than the ninety nine percent of the people that are there. So definitely, as you said, the the NFL is just a dream for all these guys, and the, obviously they see the path is there. Um, so like you know, naturally they're probably a little bit impatient. Maybe um, they might say, you know, I. I don't really want to do another year. Maybe it could benefit me, but like you see, like I'm going to be taking the NFL draft, and like you want to do that, like yeah. immediately, like your dream is to play in the NFL, like you're going to go do that. And I don't think it has anything to do, like I said, with Franklin or being upset with the team or anything like that. I think it's just their dream; they want to go to the NFL. You know, I think it has a lot to do with Franklin. That I think it's a a very good aspect of his program. He wants these kids coming in the summer, taking not just one class, so they're able to practice. He hasn't taken nine credits. So they can graduate on time, but at the same time, you know, if they redshirt, they're going to be done with their degree, and they can go. I think that's what Ryan Bates did. And then these other guys, they're not too far away where they have to take maybe a couple classes. I know Saquon Barkley has been talking to academic advisors about getting his degree because he only has to finish up, like, one semester. Right. You know, this is a very positive thing for this Penn State program, and fans getting all over Coach Franklin and the coaching staff, they are just yeah. Flat out wrong. Like I'm sorry. It's it's it just it has nothing to do with them being negative about Franklin. Let's just get that off. Like they're, he's of, literally fulfilling their dreams. Yeah. Of being NFL players. Maybe it's the mo- some players have a, you know a little sick with James Franklin the pick. Regardless, he's fulfilling their dreams, sending them off to the NFL, and I guarantee he's giving them a hug and he's telling them how proud he is of them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that there's no issues at all. Everything's no. great. Everything's great. But this is a positive yeah, sign th- for there's Penn not State. like there may be like a little bit of animosity there, but it's not like something like, "Well, I hate Franklin. I'm going to leave yeah. right now." Like, it's nothing like that. I, I think that that they're just they they just eyeing the NFL and they want to get there. Yeah. So moving on, we'll we got some fan questions on our posts on Facebook. You guys were really good with posting uh, your questions and having some very good questions for us. We'll start first with Beth Ann Matter and Schaefer. Her question. With Trace McSorley definitely not being 100%, why not go for the touchdown and the win? Um, obviously, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, but it's it was controversial. But at the same time, I think Coach Franklin had a plan where he, he trusted his defense. Not to say he trusted the defense more than Trace McSorley, but I think he, he trusted his defense, used it as a team game, and said, remember, defense get another three and out like they did the last two drives and we'll have Trace lead them down at least for a tie, if not the win, and close out his career that way. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't really think it had anything to do with his health, like not being 100%. I think that Franklin wasn't really looking at that because obviously they were playing really well as an offense at that point, and McSorley was just taking over. Um, so I don't think the health really played into that decision, to be honest with you. No. 
Next question comes from Brian Kaminsky. This has kind of somewhat been answered, but we'll cover this. Do you still expect to see Miles Sanders declare for the NFL draft? I mean, he's clearly not ready, but just curious. Brian, I hate to say it, you're completely wrong. Miles Sanders, if he went out this year or next year, he's ready regardless. This year he had close to 1,300 yards rushing, 5.8 yards per carry, 9 touchdowns, and he had 24 catches, and he's top 10 on most uh, draft boards in terms of the running back position. Yeah, I think that everyone just is like looking at Sanders as following in the, the footsteps of Barkley, and you see, like, obviously he's not Barkley, but he's still a really good running back, and just because he's not playing at the level of Barkley doesn't mean he's not ready to declare for the draft. As you said, his numbers are, are pretty good, and I think that, you know, he's going to be taken by a team, and he's going to contribute in the NFL. And I think we had one fan post on Facebook saying how he had one season, and you look at, I, I, I use the example of Alvin Kamara, because Alvin Kamara was a mid-round pick, kind of overlooked because he transferred from Alabama to Tennessee and didn't play a ton of Tennessee. You combine Kamara's two seasons at Tennessee, it makes up basically one Miles Sanders season this year as a starter. Alvin Kamara's had a great NFL career so far, a star running back for the Saints. If Miles Sanders has that one season and he shows enough where he's... You he, he he saw it on the, the third and ten late in the game where how shifty he was, able to make cuts, the speed to get away... Miles Sanders is a very good running back. He's not going to be the top running back taken, I don't think. Yeah. But he's going to be taken, and a team's going to use him, and he's going to show off his talents at the NFL, just like Barkley did. And I think it's a very good decision for Miles Sanders because he did show, you know, some some fans want to talk about the fumbling issues. Obviously, the big one was against Ohio State that killed momentum. Right. But he only had four or five fumbles this year, and the NFL teams can fix that. They can't fix shiftiness and speed to get away from uh, safeties and corners. Miles Sanders has that ability. Yep. Moving on to the next question. We have a slew of them from Joe Barr. First one is, why do we not challenge the bad spot of the ball that costs us a first down in the middle of a drive? Even the announcer was surprised we did not challenge it because review clearly showed it was a first down. That would have kept the drive alive. Instead, we punted. We were talking about this earlier you know, it's easy for us sitting at home to watch the game and see all the reviews. Dave Fleming and Brock were talked about it during the broadcast for ESPN. James Franklin doesn't have a TV right in front of him when he's coaching. Yeah, he's not really, he's not clearly watching the review of whether it was a first down. And he might have somebody in his ear upstairs saying, hey, coach, looks like the spot's a little inaccurate. But at the same time, he has to tell his punting unit what he wants to do. He doesn't want to burn a timeout to, to decide this, especially right. if it's early in the game. Maybe late in the game, it's something that you look at, but early in the game, I don't think that decided the game at all. So. No, it, it's. I think it's just a really minute detail of, from this game. Uh, as you said, he doesn't have a TV in front of him to look at, and I think it's just. A, a, I don't want to say waste of time, but as you said, like there's there's more going on right then, at that moment for Franklin than um, that you may think. Then he's not all, he's not thinking all about that one little spot, and he probably didn't even realize it until he. Like you said, it heard in his ear that maybe it was a bad spot, or who knows if there's even somebody that's doing that. You and know? probably by that time, you have the punting unit on the field already, and the play clock's running down. Yeah, it's just this, the game is so fast when you're involved in the game, and Coach Franklin probably has a million things spinning around in his head, and I think that's the only reason. It wasn't you know a, a lack of judgment by Franklin, but it's just like you don't have he doesn't have the technology that we have watching the game, nor the the time to process that kind of stuff. 
while he's coaching. Yeah, definitely late in the game, I would say. You know, he should he should definitely take a look at that. But I think that this was so early in the game that uh, it didn't really didn't really like cross his mind as that big of a as big back of a good deal. Mm-hmm. Next question from Joe: Why did we not stuff the box at the end of the game, knowing full well they were running all the way and not passing to kill the clock? And if you, I was watching that myself because I think it was obvious to everybody watching the game, everybody in the stadium, everybody on the sidelines, that Kentucky was running the ball. Benny Snell is their best running back in school history. They're definitely going to run the ball. But at the same time, it wasn't like Kentucky was, was spreading the defense out. They had two wide receivers on most plays. But if you look at it, Penn State was a man-to-man. They had their, you know, you're not going to leave the wide receivers wide open. Right. And then they had two safeties. They weren't you know, 20 yards back, but at the same time, you know, they're trying to prevent a big, big run. But Penn State had seven guys in the box. You have seven guys in the box, five outs as a lineman, a tight end, and the running back to account for. You're hoping that those seven guys can make the stop. If not, the safeties are coming up and trying to prevent the big play. I don't think I don't think it was a lack of effort by Penn State to stop the run in that last drive. It just, it, Kentucky executed yeah, when I look at this, I, I kind of think of that it really just comes down to tackling. I I just remember vividly that that the first couple downs that they had, I think it was like a third and five, maybe third and six. They handed it off to Snell, and he got hit at the line and pushed all the way forward, yeah. and he got the first down. Like you make that tackle, then none of this is talked about because mm-hmm. they're punting, they're three and out, and they're punting. So I think that this comes down to to just tackling. I don't know if you even need like they didn't seem to need to like stack the box like all out like like they're making it seem like you need to um i think that more of it just came down to you need to execute and you need to tackle the guy when (laughs) you hit him at the line i agree i think overall the penn state tackling was pretty good in this game i think jan johnson a huge stopper in the game i know brandon and i were talking about it where he stacked up benny snell at the line uh ended up being a fourth down um there's one drive the lynn bowden 57 yard pass catch that was poor tackling. Oh, yeah. But from there, I thought it was pretty good job, but Benny Snell had a ton of determination on that last drive to close out his career in a positive note. Yeah, he's a good running back. So you, can, you can't expect anything yeah, he's, less than... He's going to get drafted, too, you know, if he declares. So it, it, you, don't want, you don't want to say it was a lack of effort by the Penn State coaching staff and the defense of trying to prevent the the first down by the, the running back, Benny Snell. No, Snell just pushed his way through and made the play when he needed to make the play. And mm-hmm. Penn State just didn't. I mean, they didn't really, there wasn't any, I don't think there's anything off scheme-wise. Yeah. So last question from Joe Barr is, is there any chance of getting a kicking specialist in here to work with our kickers? Because let's face it, we lost the Ohio State game and now this one because of missed field goals. If you look at the Ohio State game, Jeep Pinnegar was two for three. And so Ohio State missed one from, I believe, 40 yards. Then the Kentucky game obviously wasn't a good one. He went one for three. One was blocked, really low kick. Josh Allen was actually falling down on one of the Penn State linemen, and he got a hand up. And then the other one was a, a bad snap, bad hold, and he missed it. But overall for the season, you have to you can't forget, Jake Pinniger is 18 years old. He's a true freshman, right. and he went 16 for 24 on the season. It's tough to find college kickers. You're replacing Tyler Davis, who he struggled his senior year as an innate lion, but he was very good his junior year, very good kicker, a very consistent kicker. And replacing kickers is not that easy in college. Look at the NFL. That's even tougher at sometimes. You know, you see the the Los Angeles Chargers, rather, struggle with kickers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example, too. 
But Pentagon is 16 for 24 in the season. I don't think that's the single reason why we lost some games. No, I don't think it is either. Obviously, you see a one-point loss to Ohio State, and you say, wow, if we made that one field goal, we win. But you don't know what's going to happen in the game. And obviously, it is an issue. We're not going to sit here and ignore it as something that's not an issue. As we said, special teams wasn't playing that well this year. So obviously, he's got some things to work on. Um, But I think, as you said, he's young, and I think that he'll eventually become a solid kicker for Penn State. One thing that I find interesting is the dynamic between Pinnager and Checo, and where Pinnager kicks field goals and Checo is the kickoff man. Will one of them emerge to do both next year? Will they keep the same roles? It'll be interesting to see. Just a, That's a small note, but they're both true freshmen, and they're both developing, so maybe one takes a stranglehold on one spot or that they didn't perform at this year. Yeah, We'll was, see going the the offseason. It was refreshing to see Checo kick some balls out of the end zone mm-hmm. <laughs> this game. Uh, last question here from Corey Joyce. This is an interesting question given Penn State's quarterback dynamic. Tommy Stevens is going to be out for a little bit of time with his uh, surgery they had before the bowl game and then Trace McSorley graduating. So his question is, any chance Penn State goes after a transfer quarterback like Brandon Wimbush to replace McSorley? Obviously, Brandon Wimbush was the Notre Dame quarterback the last few years. He, got, he lost his starting job to Ian Book at Notre Dame this year. However, Brandon Wimbush was a Penn State commit at one time before he decided to go to Notre Dame. Overall, I don't see Wimbush coming into Penn State. I think Coach Franklin, outside of the junior college guys, he wants to take his type of guys that he recruits. Obviously, Wimbush once was a Penn State recruit, but I don't think Wimbush is really an option, especially given the quarterback depth that they have, especially from the, uh, the two freshmen coming in, the two guys returning. Yeah, I mean, he was committed to Penn State. Franklin obviously uh, recruited him hard, and he decided not to to come to Penn State. And I just don't, I don't see Franklin going back after him. I think, I honestly think that Justin Fields has a better chance of transferring to Penn State than Wimbush does. I don't think that Franklin is actively actively pursuing Wimbush at this point. No, especially the way he struggled, especially this year, losing the starting job. There was obviously a lot of inconsistencies with his passing and his accuracy. Yeah. And I don't think that's something that uh, Coach Franklin and Coach Ronnie would want from their quarterback position, given, despite having Trace McSorley, how much he struggled with accuracy this year and the wide receiver group. So, Brandon Wimbush, probably not an option. However, Justin Fields, we'll see what his options are looking like if he actually decides to transfer from Georgia. Nothing's been confirmed from Fields, but it's looking like he will transfer uh, following the their bowl game that they are they already played the sugar bowl yeah i think that i think the penn state it still has a lot of options at quarterback regardless um of him obviously you have tommy stevens and you have clifford behind him and then they just brought in two two more dual threat quarterbacks in this past um recruiting class so yeah i just think it's very unlikely that he comes back to penn state yeah so great job today from the fans asking us questions on our posts um it really helps out with the podcast so we thank you guys for doing that also, thank you for the feedback, whether it's negative or positive, on our post regarding some of the, the news with Penn State football. So, all in all, thank you, thank you guys for following along on Facebook. Please check us out on Twitter as well. We're trying to grow that page. Um, our handle is at ForTheGloryOOS, and we're trying to grow that out to be more of a factor in our social media presence. But all in all, thank you guys. Hope you enjoyed listening. We'll talk to you soon.